0: Hello, Welcome to another edition of DCEKG, a part of the Big Wig Podcast Network and distributed by our partner, Evergreen. I'm Joe Grogan here as usual with Eric Euland, and we're joined today by a great friend of ours, Tom Phillipson. Tom's been a senior advisor to the Food and Drug Administration, the Health and Human Services Department. He's been a member of the Council of Economic Advisors, and he's run the Council of Economic Advisors, and he's one of the most influential economists in the country, if not the world, and he's well-respected in Washington, D.C. He's published countless academic articles and some of the best recent op-eds on the Inflation Reduction Act and economic policy uh, as it's taking place in Washington, D.C. Eric? Eric? Thanks, Joe, and you're right, Tom's had an
1: amazing career with academic credentials second to none, a PhD from Wharton, a professor at the University of Chicago, a visitor at Yale, and fellowships galore, USC, Manhattan Institute, Milken Institute, AEI, Rand Corporation, and on and on and on. He's an award-winning economist, a big brain, I only have a small paramecium up here, and somebody who really needs to be heard as well as a great colleague and a really fun friend to work with when we're all together at the White House. If you want to check out Tom, look him up on LinkedIn, Tomas J. Philipson. No H in Tomas, Tomas J. Philipson. He's here today with Joe and I to discuss some of the truly disturbing effects of last year's Inflation Reduction Act on innovative drug breakthroughs. Give his perspective on the macroeconomy going into 2024 and his views on the COVID-19 lockdowns and what we might learn from that experience. We'll kick off with a conversation about some of his recent op-eds in the Wall Street Journal and the Hill. Really powerful writings that focus on how the Inflation Reduction Act could hurt drug development, have negative impacts on really innovative drug discovery, and contain provisions that might allow bureaucrats to run much further field, more than what anybody anticipated when the Inflation Reduction Act became law last year. Tom, thanks for being with us. Let's talk a little bit first about how you see the Inflation Reduction Act's impact on innovative drug development here in the United States.
2: Yeah, we kind of wrote an early piece uh, several, uh, you know, a half year, year ago, I think. Uh, on you know what would price controls like these? There were kind of different versions of the IRA floating around before IRA got passed. What would they? What would the economic literature say about how much less innovation there will be? But I think the first thing I kind of want to talk about is that you know in DC there's a lot of talk about financing of healthcare versus the big improvements in healthcare doesn't come necessarily from uh, changes in financing. They mainly come from new innovation, right? So if you think Um, of, you know, HIV patients are now, that's a chronic disease, uh, used to be a death sentence, cancer survival rates are going up dramatically, particularly in, you know, breast and other types of cancer. And you think about, you know, what really improves people's lives in healthcare has much less to do with financing than it has to do with, you know, how much do we actually bring to market in terms of new products. So that, I think, is being very misguided in terms of policy, because policy is also about the dollars and cents, and it is, this is a very short-term view of it. So that's kind of motivated why we did the analysis we did that showed that it would be quite dramatic uh, innovation effects. And we just took the literature and economics and said, what are the if you take CBO's revenue reduction from the act and impose it on the industry, there's a big literature in economics that says once once you get those revenue reductions, how much less research and development do you get? And, and because this bill
1: was written around financing concerns in general, you're going to have an effect that's pretty pronounced on innovation and drug development, aren't you?
2: Yeah, but the the savings are like 250 billion over t- over. 10 Claimed, years, of right? Yeah, it's clean. Yeah. But the loss in life is in the trillions from that, if you so the few things we value more.
1: And when you say trillions, and, it's not trillions of people who die, but the quality no, exactly. of life.
2: A, yeah. And, and the, the reason value the numbers get so large for losses in lives is because that's the thing people care more about. <laughs> you know, if you ask people what, what, do you want less inflation or do you want to live longer? A lot of people would say the second. So uh, basically, ba- health and life are obviously the most valued things we have. So when you take a hit in those aspects, it many times swamps everything else. And that's what IRA day. We talk a lot about the growth implications, the, the lack of inflation implications from the Act, the climate implications. Those are trivial implications from the Act compared to the value of the lost life or lost health is essentially induced by the act.
1: And there, to your point, you're talking about challenges that result from these new revenues, these new taxes, these new levies on the economy, and in particular on the industry, as well as secondarily, some of the distorting effects of provisions within the act itself.
2: Yeah, exactly. So U.S. is unique in that we have more private market pricing of drugs in the US than other uh, other uh, countries and Medicare has kind of follow that private pricing that has led us to basically the source if you innovate anywhere in the world if it's you know you're sitting in 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 China or Sweden or whatever you're not innovating for your own country you're innovating for the world market so Swedish pharma companies don't innovate for 9 million Swedes. They innovate for the world. And the world is driven by the U.S. market, which is about 70% plus of the return you make on innovation comes from the U.S. market, even though the U.S. is only about 22% of world GDP. So it's highly overrepresented in terms of how much it contributes to their rewards from innovating.
0: Tom, what, how do you view that? A lot of people view that differential <clears throat> as the U.S. is being taken advantage of by foreign governments uh, and, and frankly, foreigners, foreign citizens are taking advantage of the American citizens because we're paying higher drug prices. But your point or part of your point is, look, the drug <clears throat> wouldn't exist at all if not for the American market. Is that is that fair? And how would you... How do you view this differential in pricing and the size of the marketplace? Well, I view it
2: as a rational response from other countries, essentially, and that might sound weird. But if let's say you're Sweden, right? And you're thinking about price controls on drugs in Sweden. Because Sweden is such a small share of the world market, they will not have any impact on medical innovation with their price controls so you can literally shut down sweden and nothing happens to medical innovation and that's true for a lot of european countries not necessarily <laughs> germany and france and, and and but even the uk is two or three percent so whatever nice does in the uk which is an organization that regulates prices in the uk whatever they do will not impact innovation much. So they will see the same flow of products coming into their countries, regardless if they're controlling prices or not. Now, if everyone is doing that, then obviously there is a lower world return from innovation. And that's, you know, all the Europeans are doing it. They're they're implicitly doing. But if you think about a single country, there's no innovation access trade-off for that country lowering prices through price controls holding what other countries do constant will only increase access without impacting innovation for them. So and but if you the do different-
1: that and but if you do that with the United States to your point, you're going to have exactly. a significant impact domestically. you'll have a huge impact internationally. and suddenly the rest of the world will be copying us and compounding this challenge as more and more countries directly or indirectly adopt price yeah. control regimes.
2: Yeah, so we are a rich country and we're a populist country right so we're 330 million people and we're the richest country one, one of the richest countries we're not the richest but per capita but the aggregate economy is the largest obviously in the world. Uh, so what we do will impact world returns and, and therefore it's very different there's a very different trade-off for the U.S doing you know what nice is doing in the UK there's a totally different trade-off. And so th-
1: sorry. sorry, Joe. I was just quickly and then, so what do liberals and the left say in defense of the Inflation Reduction Act, and push back at the consequences of their own legislation here? How does the Biden administration defend against the reality, as you have explained, of how the marketplace really works and the real-life impact of suddenly depressing a whole sector that's life-saving, life-innovating for patients? Again, not just in the United States but around the world.
2: I mean, the rhetoric is that this is saving seniors and taxpayers uh, money, even though clearly it will hurt them in the long run by not having uh, uh, as much health as they would in absence of the act, which is going to dominate in value any savings to have from the act. But I also think they believe incorrectly that there won't be much of an R&D effect (laughs) from reduced future profits. So I think- You know, there's a field visit to suggest for congressmen to a private equity fund or a VC fund or whatever, where the first thing anyone talks about is future earnings from a particular uh, biotech when they start investing in their trials. And those investments in trials are about two-thirds of R&D spending for drugs coming to market. So, you know, they live in a world where investment is not driven by future profitability, which is not the world we live in. I've, where there's, you know, there's a mountain of data that contradicts that, but that's their claim.
0: Right. I, it's even, to some extent, I, I, it's even worse than that because they, part of the justification for these price controls, I mean, they call them negotiation, but it's really price controls, price setting. Part of their argument in favor is that the drug companies are greedy. Well, if they're greedy, they're motivated by profits, right? And then you expect their behavior is going to change when you limit the profits, but they don't seem to be able to get their head around it. And they're back in this box where they think it's really good politics to bash the pharmaceutical industry. And to your point, they don't think it's really going to affect innovation. And you've written recently in The Hill about the number of drugs that you think are never going to come to market. Do you want to talk about that a little bit about w- watching? Yeah, uh, I
2: mean, this <clears throat> this came as a response to CBO where, where there's something... Very fishy going on in how much CBO or how little CBO thinks it's going to affect drug innovation. It just does not make sense. So they will have a, they claim they have a 12 to 15% revenue reduction. And if you just take that proportionally to the number of drugs, if that's the, if there's a 12 to 15% reduction in RD or 12, reduction in drugs as a consequence, you will run up against 120 roughly drugs lost, even though they claim it will be 12 over over 20 years.
1: Yeah, it's CBO (laughs) CBO. that reluctantly, nevertheless, did conclude there is some impact on drug development. But your point here is there's a huge mismatch between how the bill operates as CBO explains it and then CBO's conclusion that, well, it's just 12 drugs given how the literature works and the reality of the marketplace in which we live.
2: Yeah, and we now have better evidence, and that's part of the Hill op-ed I wrote, too. If you go to earnings calls of companies, where you, if you lie, you can go to prison, so it's pretty disciplined discussions. Uh, <laughs> so basically, in those earnings calls, 24 companies are already cutting back their pipeline because of uh, the IRA, so inflation reduction, acts. So basically we already have seen within four months essentially we saw almost half of what cbo said would occur in uh, in uh, 20 years in terms of actually drop drugs now they won't even start certain lines of research essentially uh, as well but we never see we would never see that in earnings calls that would just basically be not even entered into the pipeline essentially So we see pretty dramatic responses in these earnings calls, and we talked about that in in that op, and uh, just directly after it's been passed. So I think even our estimates are going to be underestimating the effect of these, uh, of the act, even though people, many congressmen thought we were exaggerating. It looks like we're coming in too low relative to what the earnings calls are telling us.
1: Well, that's a terrible conclusion and really threatening for health quality of life for all Americans, just not not America's seniors here in the years to come, especially if this effect is so pronounced so quickly. Briefly, before we go to our break, I also wanted you to talk a little bit about a time bomb inside the IRA that you've explained after you discovered it, the amount of money in order to set up this negotiation scheme and who's actually being hired and the theory behind What's going on there, that $3 billion for the negotiating unit?
2: Yeah, so if you look at private organizations, there's a private organization called ICER that basically reviews drugs and actually been very influential for the payers because the payers love ICER. They always say drug prices are too high and never say they're too low. So basically, uh, if you look at that organization, it operates on a a 3% budget per drug reviewed compared to <clears throat> what CMS drug review or drug negotiation team will operate, which is about a $20 million-plus budget per drug negotiator. I don't know. They're creating an Excel spreadsheet, and they're sending back some information to the companies. It would be nice to have a revenue stream of $20 million to support that effort. So it's highly overfunded. It's extremely overfunded. So I warned there to like, how will this translate into mission creep at the drug pricing center at CMS, which will have way more time or staff on their hand than, than needed to do this job or much more budget. So they will presumably start looking into how to use that budget in other ways.
1: And the other ways could include influences from the outside who have constantly over the decades preached a theory of controlling the amount of prescription drugs and the access to them. Isn't that correct? Aren't you seeing some worrying trends when it comes to staffing and some of the ideas that are being kicked around for this negotiating unit even before it gets started? (laughs) Yeah, I
2: mean, it's a democratic administration, so it's, you know, it's it's predictable and, and, you know, and I think within their right to staff it in, in any ways they want. The problem is, You know, once if there are civil servants that have this attitude and then a Republican administration comes in and wants to do something different, there will be kind of a battle within the agency, which we often see between Republican publicly appointed uh, uh, personnel and the civil servants.
1: Well, I think you're shining a great spotlight on significant flaws of the Inflation Reduction Act and the challenges it's going to cause for health care and quality of life for all Americans. And to your point, ultimately, everybody on the planet we will be coming back to talk to you more deeply in our next segment about the run-up to 2024, in particular, the economy. I'm Eric Eland, along with Joe Grogan for DCEKG, Big Wig Media Network, and Evergreen, our partner. We'll be back.